Hey everyone, before we get to this week's episode of the We Have Cancer podcast, I wanted to share a bit of a personal update, and I never forget, and the reason why we changed the name of this podcast three years ago from the Colon Cancer Podcast to We Have Cancer was to A, open up our interviews and conversations to people who are experiencing all kinds of cancers, but the focus of the We Have Cancer podcast is the word we. And one of the things I think about when I think about we is me, the host, and you, the listeners. And I value that relationship. And with that being said, I wanted to share just some personal news. I had my every three-month scan last week and heard the word that uh, I'm getting kind of tired of hearing and none of us going through cancer likes to hear. And the word was progression. That my oncologist said that the recent CT scan has shown uh, new tumors on my liver. And I share this because I'm hoping that you'll kind of follow my lead if you find yourself in this situation. And uh, in the 10 years, as you recall, back in March, I've celebrated 10 years living with stage four colon cancer. And it's about six to 12 months. I know over the last 10 years, you know, it's about six to 12 months of things being stable before something new occurs that we have to deal with. And quite honestly, you know, I'm tired. And when I don't panic, tired doesn't mean I'm giving up. (laughs) Definitely not. It's not that bad. But uh, I'm tired of, um, you know, the routine of watch, wait, chemo, watch, wait, ablation, whatever it might be. So I'm making the conscious decision to take an even more proactive approach to my treatment. And my oncologist and I talked about different chemo options. We decided I'm going to go back on a Rinatecan the day this episode comes out, June 1st, which I've been off for a year now. But I'm not leaving it there. I did contact the patient support line of the Colorectal Cancer Alliance and spoke to my dear friend Val Freeman, who's one of the patient support navigators. And I'm going to connect with the folks over at Prothera, that's P-E-R, T-H-E-R-A, and they're going to obtain all of my information, and they have a really interesting tool, I'm eager to learn more about it, where they combine artificial intelligence, as well as a board of uh, tumor specialists to evaluate my situation and come up with a customized treatment plan, ranked according to what is most likely to provide the most positive results. In addition, they're going to provide information around clinical trials. And that's something I've been hesitant about. And I think it's just really, you know, what's between my ears that's gotten in the way of that. But what I realize, and I've heard so many times over and over again, is people wait too long to look into clinical trials. They view clinical trials as a last resort. And that was kind of, you know, ringing in my ear, so to speak. And you know what? I feel good. I feel fine. Uh, and I work full time. I exercise. I'm enjoying life, right? So I'm not going to wait 
and look at clinical trials as an option as a last resort. I'm going to pursue that now and see what might be out there for me. And as far as I'm concerned, everything's on the table. I've even reached out to uh, the Georgetown University uh, Hospital, where I understand in partnership with the National Institute of Health, they have done uh, liver transplant uh, as uh, a treatment option for people with metastatic colon cancer that spread to their liver. I don't know if that's going to be an option for me, but I'm looking into everything, and I hope you'll follow my lead that uh, you ask questions, that you take a proactive approach in your treatment, that you get second opinions and third opinions and, and ask more questions and ask what's possible. And if you're told something is not an option for you, you know what? Keep asking other people and see if maybe it can be just maybe somewhere else. So with that, uh, that's my update. I appreciate any good vibes that you send uh, Linda and I's way as uh, I take uh, yet another uh, whack at the cancer punching bag looking for great results. Here's today's episode. Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I know what it's like to hear those three words. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. One day I said to my wife, Linda, that I hated the fact that I had cancer. And she looked at me and said, no, sweetheart, we have cancer. This transformed the way I looked at cancer because every one of us is touched by it in some way patients and survivors, caregivers and medical professionals, and we all have a story to tell. On each episode, we share those stories to inform, inspire, and provide hope to all of us who are affected by cancer to remind us that we are not alone. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 178 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. Before I get to this week's guests, I just want to remind you of our partnership with Campaign One at a Time. Brody Nicholas, the CEO, will be joining us later in this episode to share the story of this month's Child of the Month, Jocelyn. But I want to invite you to check out their website at campaignoaat.org to get a real grasp on all the amazing work that Brody and his team are doing to bring some dreams home for children who are battling cancer. This is a topic that is so near and dear to my heart because I too am a pediatric cancer survivor. This week's guest is Matt Odie. Matt is a stage three testicular cancer survivor, and Matt wanted to come on to share his story and experience to help other patients and survivors work through the mental, emotional, and physical challenges of cancer while helping them find their next path in life. And he does this too through his uh, robust, I guess is the good word, but he's got such a wonderful Facebook group for young adult cancer patients and survivors out there. So just look up Matt Odie, that's O-D-E, and you can find his group. And uh, he's just doing incredible work. 
He is such an inspiring guy, and I know you're going to love my conversation. So join me now for that conversation with Matt Odie. Matt, welcome to We Have Cancer. Really appreciate you reaching out to share your story and joining me this evening. And you know, I'm looking through uh, your your website, which I've shared at the uh, intro here, so people can check you out. But as I'm watching your video on your homepage, I'm like, if this guy's any more enthusiastic and positive and energetic, I think my screen's going to explode. After all you've been through, where does that come from? Trust me, I'll tell you this, and being very vulnerable, I had a lot of ups and downs in my journey. But the one thing I realized is I look at life in two different ways. You can look at life as, why is everything happening to me? Or how is everything happening for me? And what I mean by that is, you can take the exact same difficult setback in your life and look at it in two different directions. And I figured that out. I said, listen, I had cancer and I could let it define me. I could blame other people. I could blame God. I could blame the universe. I could blame and it would get me absolutely nowhere. Or I could say, how is this happening for me? And although it's unfair, it's challenging. I know there's going to be a tough road ahead of me. I could also say, how can I learn from this experience? How can I grow from this, this experience and become a better version of me? And then even more, how can I use it to then impact the next person who's going through a similar challenge or setback as I am? And it isn't always that way, but I really try. I promise you, like any challenge that comes to me now, I look at it as like, how can I grow through this experience? And I'm very faith-based. You know, I, I don't push faith on anybody, but I am faith-based. And I really do believe that God puts me through these setbacks to create setups for the rest of my life. So that's kind of my mission and, and why I'm kind of positive towards things. Have you always been wired that way, Matt? Or did this come as a result of your, which, and we'll get into the details, yeah. your quite challenging uh, cancer experience, which, by the way, I know at the time that we're recording this, you just recently passed four years. So congratulations on that. Thank you. But uh, is this how you've always been wired or is this kind of a new realization? I was always the kid growing up that were like, why are you so happy all the time? And I wasn't necessarily always happy, but I, I was able to find happiness in a lot of things. But I also had a lot of anxiety, Lee. Like right before cancer, probably a year or two before cancer, I'd have a lot of panic attacks, a lot of like I'd wake up throughout the day and just feel blurry and, and miscombobulated. And it really took control of my life for about two years. And the craziest part is when I actually had cancer, I had a little bit of anxiety, but I had taken so much care of my self-development and worked on myself so much that when cancer hit, I was kind of prepared in a sense of like, hey, listen, I ha I can push through this. I can get through this part. So there were ups and downs in my life for sure. But I was always that kid that like kind of, I don't know, maybe it's a genetic thing. I don't really know, but I always tried to find some type of joy in, in, in uh, everything I did. So that, that's kind of how I was growing up. So you know, what, one of the things that I see you share a lot uh, on social media is putting your energy on providing hope and inspiration for other people. But at the same breath, you also talk about be true to yourself. So help other people, but don't change yourself to make other people happy. So reconcile that for us. What is, you know, talk, talk more about that. I think authenticity is the absolute key to attracting the right people in your life. For me, you know, the one thing I really did was 
I was always going to share the vulnerable parts of my life because vulnerability attracts and it allows people to actually feel like they're a part of something when you're sharing it with them. Like when I, if I only shared my victories and I mean, I share a lot of positivity, but I'm not afraid to share the fact that, you know, I was on my deathbed a few times. I was in a coma and I've, I had anxiety in my life and all of these things, because the more authentic and the more vulnerable you are, the more people relate and the more people are willing to open up after that. That's the biggest key is if I want to get somebody else to be, and this how they, and when I say open up, they don't have to open up like I'm doing right now. They can open up to somebody they just, you know, know, like, and trust. And that can be a massive breakthrough in their life. And I want to share this to a lot of men out here right now. I truly, truly believe a lot of our mental health issues come from holding in a lot of the baggage that we carry in our life. And it's because I feel like we have this persona or this, you know, um, you know, thing that people view us as we should be this strong individual as men and not really open up. And if we do, it, it, create, it, it makes us seem weak. But I think it's the complete opposite. When we're able to open up, when we're able to share with what we're going through, it's like all of that weight every single day that you've been putting that pound after pound gets released. And that's where all of the depression, the PTSD, the stress, the anxiety slowly, it doesn't just happen overnight, but slowly starts to to dwindle and you're able to express yourself for who you are. When you can do that, it's almost like you have this freedom in your life. Expressing with who you are is, in my opinion, what allows happiness and freedom because you don't ever have to be somebody or not to impress people that truly don't really care, but you think they do. And we're our biggest critics, Lee. We really are. I want to thank my buddy Neil Galarte and his team over at Toma Gear for sponsoring this episode of the We Have Cancer Show. They have an amazing line of affordable luxury items, sunglasses for men and women, watches for men and women, and some gorgeous men's beaded bracelets. I've got a couple of the bracelets. They look spectacular. And Linda and I just received our first pairs of sunglasses, and they are incredible. Not only are they incredible, but folks, when you check out these amazing array of products, what you're going to notice is not only are they affordable, but the styles are so unique. It's just things you just don't see everywhere. I got the coolest pair of blue mirrored sunglasses that are in bamboo uh, frames that just look spectacular. Neil has been kind enough to offer a discount to the listeners of the We Have Cancer podcast. If you go to wehavecancershow.com forward slash Toma, that's T-O-M-A, and use the promo code WHC15 to get 15% off your order. There are a couple of exclusions, but overall that discount applies to, I'd say, the easy 90% of what you find on the site. And like I said, you do want to check it out for some wonderful and unique products. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. A number of years ago, I interviewed uh, Kyle Woody, and uh, I'll never forget one of the quotes he said, men don't want to sit around in a circle and talk about their feelings. Yep. So what's their outlook? How do they, so you're saying they need to do it, right? You know, I know, uh, and I shot them out all the time. My buddies, uh, Trevor Maxwell and Joe Bullock, who created the Man Up to Cancer Facebook group, and they're coming up on a thousand members in- Incredible. 
what they've been doing in a year, maybe two. And that shows you there's that need, right? Men need a place, but it's about finding the right place, isn't it? Exactly. I would always say, start with people you can relate with. One of the biggest things I've ever heard is you're, you know, you're the average of the core five people you are around consistently. And I'm sure you might've heard something similar to this. And I truly, truly believe that is when you are around people who have a similar vision or a similar outlook or a similar situation that you have gone through. Just like you said with Joe, I've, I've talked with Joe and he's going to do a Facebook live with me and my group and we a great guy. And I promise you, it's like you feel so much more comfortable opening up. But you, you know, a lot of the times, this is the thing with cancer too, especially when you're a survivor or you're going through cancer, it's really hard for your parents or your loved ones who've never gone through cancer to relate to that situation. So for you to open up some of those struggles that you've been going through is really challenging. When I was going through cancer, I opened up the most to with one of my friends that I literally just met when I was diagnosed with cancer what the Cleveland Clinic, so I was diagnosed at the Cleveland Clinic, and they have what's called a fourth angels program. And that's where you basically get, you know, a, a cancer survivor that's gone through the same cancer as you. And I felt so much more relieved talking to her because every day I, I was feeling like, you know, crap, or I was, you know, I had this issue, I could talk to him, and he could tell me exactly how he felt. And me and him had this, you know, everlasting bond. And we still are, we're still friends, we still hang out, and I'm still in contact with them. And I think that's so, so important. Just like you said, creating those Facebook groups where people can truly relate to one another. And I'll tell you right now, sometimes age matters, but I really do believe that cancer doesn't discriminate. So I think there's some value in young adults that can bring to the older generation and older generation that can bring to young adults. So I just think that it needs to be a similar situation sometimes that we can relate to. Oh, 100%. You know, I would say easily, I don't even need to pull up the list, that the majority of the people I've interviewed in the six years I've been doing this show, significantly younger than I am. Um, and there's always something to learn. But it's interesting, too, is as we stay on the topic of men, which is appropriate since we're talking to a testicular cancer survivor, um, even in the, I find even in the groups that are not gender specific, uh, you know, man up to cancer. When it's open to everybody, take a look at them all, right? Hmm. It's 80% women, yeah, 20% men. I look at that at all the colon cancer groups I'm a part of, even the face-to-face conferences. I remember going to the first one, and I'm looking at my wife going, where's all the dudes? Like colon cancer is not a women's disease. It's pretty much 50-50. But same thing. It's that comfort of and space to share. Look at breast cancer awareness is the biggest awareness of all cancers. And I really think it's because that women are willing to open up so much more. And it's not like, it's not like breast cancer. You know, I don't know what the most common cancer is, but I'm sure that there's other cancers that are almost. Lung. Lung. Yeah. So that's kind of how I look at it as well. And um, I agree. I totally do. In my group, I have both women and men. And I would say mine's maybe because I'm the only admin and I'm a male. I do probably have like 70, 30, but you're absolutely correct. It's majority woman, but I think with what I'm going through, it allowed me to open up to more men to bring into the group, but I completely agree. Has this experience, Matt, changed or how has it changed you emotionally in terms of how you interact with people, uh, how you experience life? Great question. So yeah, I mean, I felt lost before cancer. I really did. In a sense of, um, 
I felt like I had a purpose in like I had a big purpose in my life, but I just was not in a good situation. I was in a bad rut. And what cancer allowed me to do was take a step back and look at life through a different lens and a different lens in a meaning of allowing me to take situations and really grow through them. You know, before that, I would take situations and always let it define me. I really was, even though I was like, I was telling you, I was a positive person. I had a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of mental health issues before cancer. And what cancer really taught me was, you know, it's this common, but don't seriously, don't um, stress over the little things. It brings perspective into my day. And what it allows me to do is when I leave, when I, when I have a challenge now, a lot of people like don't don't use your past or anything. I actually use my past, but I only use my past to help push myself forward because on days that I'm not feeling good or I have a bad thing I'm in my business or you know X, Y, and Z just doesn't go right, I can look back three and a half years ago and say, look where I was then and everything I've accomplished and I've and, and you know, for me, God's helped me get to this point. And it instantly, instantly puts gratitude into my day. And what that gratitude does is it allows me to shift my perspective and say, listen, this isn't the end of the world. I'm still on this mission. I still have my health now and everything, and I can keep pushing myself forward. And a lot of the times, the biggest breakthroughs in my life come through the most challenging moments, almost every time, almost every single time. So when I don't know where I'm going and I just embrace the unknown or I take imperfect action, which is basically action without worrying about the consequences, people, opportunities, events, experiences come into my life. So that's what's helped me change through cancer. Now, one of the perspectives comes from, and your story is a little different, you know, I'm still in treat, active treatment. You've uh, four years, you know, cancer free. Um, is that, you know, we guide people and we give people advice that, hey, tomorrow's going to get better to look down ahead. But as we know in the cancer community, that's not true for everybody. And there are people out there and probably people listening to our conversation right now who their outlook isn't, you know, isn't that way. You have advice for people on how to navigate, even though you haven't been down that path, I haven't been down that path, how to navigate the day-to-day from an emotional standpoint, uh, knowing that the future may be a little bit more cloudy for them. Uh, yeah. than for folks like you and I. Yeah, I will. You know, I think we've all been in that situation where like with me, I, it was maybe in a shorter period of time, but when I was in a two week coma with kidney and liver failure and doctors didn't know if or when I was going to wake up. And then when I finally did, and I realized I had to relive my entire life again, I would say the biggest thing that I learned was it, it is okay to not be okay some days. And what I mean by that is like, Stop putting these insane expectations on yourself. Stop putting all this pressure on yourself. Realize that we are, it's okay to have down days, but I always need to rely on my two things, my faith and my support. If I can use those two things and then I can focus on the things that I can control throughout my day, because a lot of our stress comes through stories and things that we um, we hear we hear one thing from a doctor and next thing you know, we take it to the absolute most extreme. And that's common, especially with cancer. My goodness, like it's 100%. You can take a little symptom that a doctor gives you and you can think of death. And it's just crazy. It's how our minds work. So I always say focus on the things you control and rely heavily on your faith and on your support systems. And, and, and Lee, I've seen 
I've lived a miracle. I know you will. I've seen multiple, multiple people where they've been giving months to live and they're now yours cancer free. There's that's just all I can kind of explain is that, you know, yeah, not everybody, unfortunately, is going to um, have the same circumstance and the same outcome. But if you can just look at the things you can control and stay confident in those two things, um, I promise you miracles do happen. And just you have to look at it that way. But it is okay to have those down days. Don't get hard on yourself and stop putting so much pressure. You're going through a really challenging moment in your life. And it's okay to take that day and just say, I just need a break. I've done it multiple times and I still do it and it helps. And it, it's okay to have a, have a moment. It's okay to have a meltdown. Reading's good sometimes. It's beneficial. Sometimes I worry about the people who are too positive. When you <laughs> wonder, are they burying stuff, right, that they need to share? right? In order to put on that face. And that takes a lot of mental energy, right? To always feel like you have to be up. Exactly. And I think that's why I'm willing to share so many challenging moments in my life because I'm nowhere near perfect. And, you know, yeah, when I get in front of a camera, I try to be positive in front of these people, but I'm also willing to open up. And that's the biggest thing is I'm not afraid anymore to open up. I was, I was definitely afraid to open up. There was times where probably a good two years where I didn't mention my journey at all in my recovery. And then the last two years, now I'm finally opening up to people. But time takes time, takes patience and whatever your timeline is. So you are still in your twenties, right? 29. (laughs) How does all that you've been through, and I'm talking more physically, things like scar, you know, all the scars from all the surgeries. How do you, does that factor in when you think of your social life and, uh, you know, the, you know, image and what people think? I mean, you know, you get to be my age and, and I'm married, so I'm, I'm, I'm less concerned, you know, uh, I, I don't, uh, I'm not, not in the dating scene or anything like that. But what about someone like yourself? How does, you know, I was um, image impact you. Yeah, image really impact me. As for the relationship part, I was extremely fortunate. I had just, um, you know, started dating my girlfriend Lauren. Um, we're still dating, going absolutely incredible. And I, we were only the only we were actually only dating for two and a half months before I was diagnosed. So I didn't know she. Yeah, I didn't know she was going to stay with me or what. I was so nervous, and she just was like this rock throughout it. So that really helped me. But as for body image issues, I had a lot of it because I was a personal trainer before I was diagnosed. I mean, I was, I mean, I, I was 8% body fat. I ate, I, you know, I was eating the perfectly counting my macros and, and working out six, seven days a week. And then cancer hit and through all, all these complications in eight months, I went from 185 pounds to 110 pounds at this massive lump on my stomach because I had to have five surgeries. My last surgery they had to do was called an open wound surgery on me because they couldn't close my skin back up. So I had a football size mesh where they took out all of my abdominals and they had to put this big mesh on my stomach. So talk about body image issues. I 100% had it. And at first, I would say for the first month of recovery, it really took a toll on me too. I was like so down on myself and I was like, I don't even want to do physical therapy, X, Y, and Z. And then one day, um, me and Lauren sat down and we basically came to the conclusion of, Matt, if you do not take these steps to bettering yourself mentally, physically, and emotionally, 
you will probably not be here within a month or two months. Your body cannot handle this if you aren't willing to recover. So this is what I did, Lee. I literally said, okay, once again, what can I focus on? And what is one thing, just one thing I can do each day to progress myself to my destination? And that was just gaining my weight back, getting healthier again. And it, it literally all I did the next day I had that conversation was I picked up a five pound dumbbell and I started doing bicep curls. The next day, and I did for like 15 minutes, and I felt incredible. I felt like the rock. Like I was just like awesome. Like this is so good. I'm getting it back. And then I do it again, and I do it again. And you'd have ups and downs, ups and downs, but I was consistent. Consistency is key when you're trying to get your health back together. And um, I just did one little thing each day, and it allowed me to eventually um, build that weight up and build things. And as you do that, that is where your confidence comes back in. When you keep the promises you make to yourself, Lee, is when confidence and momentum and routines and rituals come into your life. Keeping the promises you make to yourself. When you say you're going to do something, you don't make excuses. You figure a way to do it that day. doesn't matter if you don't, you feel like you don't have the time or whatever it is. And as you continuously do it, it builds momentum. It builds routines and then ultimately builds unwavering confidence in your life to feel like, you know, now I can accomplish what I want to. Let's go back to Lauren. Yeah. Two and a half months. Uh, that's just two weeks shorter than my situation because uh, I got diagnosed and Linda and I who've now been married eight years. We're three months in. Wow. Why'd she stay? Once again, I'm faith-based. I want to hear a real, I'll share a really cool story with you. We met on St. Patrick's day, March 17th of 2016. Exactly one year later was when I was released from the hospital after being in the ICU for 40 days, the hospital for 53 days and officially you know, pronounce that I was cancer free exact day. I truly believe she was sent down. Like, I don't even know how to explain that thing like that. And there's other scenarios with her too. Like when I was in my coma, I was holding her hand. She was holding my hand when I woke up crazy scenarios. And, um, so why I think she stayed had a lot to do with my faith, but in another way, um, it just goes to show her character too. She, she loves giving more than she receives. It's so funny. Like people, she, just gives gifts to people. She will go out of her way for no reason and just give to people. And I think for me, she just wanted to, she wasn't going to give up on me. And she just loved being there and and being present for me. I mean, when I was in the hospital for 53 days, she didn't leave unless she had to go to the hospital or unless she had to go to work. And and she had her birthday. We had Valentine's Day. We had a a ton of different things going on. And she's like, nope, I'm going to stay here. So it just goes to show her character. And I think that's a big reason why she stayed. She's a keeper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did you find, however, did you experience it all? And uh, he's probably tired of me sharing his quote. My buddy, Michael Holtz has been on the show a couple of times. He was like my fifth interview. And he said, and I share this so often that the portrait of your friends and family before cancer will look different than the portrait of your friends and family who are still with, but by your side, so to speak, figuratively, after cancer. Did you experience some of that too? Yes. Basically what you're trying to say is did some people change before and after cancer? hundred percent. You want to know the craziest thing is majority of my, I'm going to say this right now. Um, my parents, Lauren, we, first of all, me and Lauren, we've grown 10 X stronger throughout our relationship. My parents, um, I've grown a stronger relationship with them and a lot of my friends and family as well. And throughout cancer, the support I had was incredible. And then the second I said about a year and a half, two years later, I want to go do something bigger with my life. 
and I didn't go out and drink with my, when they expected some of them. This is just a few, but I want to say this and it can hurt because the ones you thought were going to be the closest to you and some of your best friends are now the ones criticizing you behind your back after you just went through crazy. And I can never believe how they did it or why they would do it, but this is what happened. They expected me to go back to my old self, going out on the weekends and drinking, talking about high school glory days, make, you know, having gossip with other people. I eliminated all of that. And I said, I'm surrounding, and you want to really trigger them is I surrounded myself with other young adult entrepreneurs because I needed to be around people that were going to get me to that destination of what I'm doing now, getting in front of people, starting my Facebook group, being a keynote motivational speaker. And they didn't like that. And only in those select few people, it really hurt me at first, but then I realized it has nothing to do with me and has everything to do with their own insecurities. If they really knew my mission and what I was trying to do with, with my life, they would appreciate it. And I have a lot of friends who do that. So I, I'm not, I'm talking to the minority, the few, but you will get that. I promise you. And it might not be during your journey with cancer. It might be after when you say, Hey, listen, I'm not that same person I was. And I'm, and I'm not going to constantly do the, the bad habits because I realize how precious my time and energy is on this earth. And I realize that I need to go do something bigger with my life. And, I, and not everyone has to do it exactly what, what I'm doing. They can do anything else, but you're going to potentially have those people that leave you or, you know, um, aren't there. And you cannot take that personally. I want to put that out there. Do not take it personally because it's not you. It's not you. Like I like to say, that's a you problem, not a me problem, Yes, right? <laughs> that's a them problem, not a you yeah. problem. How did you come to be diagnosed, Matt? Good question. So um, as I was stating before, I was a personal trainer. I started with minor back pains throughout the summer, just minor back pains. I was like, okay, I'm lifting six, seven days a week. Let's cut it to four days. Should be fine. Got worse and worse. I was 24 years old at the time. And as it got worse, I got more naive. I got more ignorant and just saying, it's fine. Nothing's going to happen. I'm young. I'm strong. Um, Lauren, my parents, all my friends were even concerned. Like, listen, just go to the hospital and get checked up. And one night I was over at Lauren's house and I was really having a tough time walking. And next thing I knew I was puking up blood, puking up blood all night, get rushed in the emergency room. They do a test on me, find out that I've lost two thirds of the blood circulating in my body, which is equivalent to being shot with a gun. Got rushed into an emergency surgery where they gave me six bags of blood and they thought it was originally an ulcer that was causing the bleeding. I wake up the next day, I'm thinking it's over. And then when the doctor walked in, blank stare in his eyes. And that's when I knew like something was completely wrong. And it was just me and my parents at the time. So nobody else really knew. Lauren knew I was puking, but she didn't know what was going on. So it was just me and my parents. He comes over to me, sits down, grabs my hand and he goes, Matt, we found an 11 centimeter tumor in your small intestine. We believe it is cancerous and we have to rush you to the main campus of the Cleveland Clinic immediately. I was at a local hospital at the time. And that's when I just remember looking at my parents and my life kind of just switched just like that. And, uh, you know, within the next day or two, they did 50,000 tests at the clinic. And that's where they discovered testicular cancer. And this is the weird part. With testicular cancer, it's usually formed in the testicle. I had zero symptom in the testicle, like symptom is in like any, you know, pretty much no growth or anything like that. It was all in my small intestine. And that's why it was just super rare. And it ended up being the highest stage of testicular cancer too. So just a complete whirlwind. And, uh, you know, within a matter of three days, I was on chemo and fighting for my life. So how did they trace it back to it being testicular cancer? I believe it was the small intestine. 
Yeah, I believe the ultrasound is what allowed it to happen. Um, they did. Uh, I, I was so like out of it in a sense because I was so like friends and family and everyone was just flooding in, so that I would get tested every other day. And that's I believe it was an ultrasound that where they discovered that the cancer had formed through the testicle and it transferred up. And it was I, the cancer had spread all over my body too. Thank goodness it never hit the brain, but it hit spread it all over my lungs and everywhere. And um, that's why I had to get an RLPND um, surgery as well. So like a lymph node dissection um, after my chemotherapy. Usually they do the surgeries before, but mine was so aggressive and so intense that they couldn't do it. And they had to give me my chemo first. Are you living with any uh, post-treatment side effects now? The biggest uh, side effect for me um, is definitely my stomach because I don't have abdominals. So it's I'm... I, this is, I try to put as little limitations without being an idiot. You know, I'm not going to go out and try to hurt myself, but I'm putting as little limitations as I can in my life and saying, Hey, listen, let's give it a try. Let's give lifting a try. Let's give running a try. Let's give walking a try. Lifting, I mean, lifting is going super well. I find exercises that I can do. Walking is amazing for me. Um, doesn't bother me at all. Running is challenging because I have to really use my core. So that's been a, that's been a challenging moment for me, but I'm working through it and saying, Hey, listen, Maybe I can get through this. Maybe there's some things I can do. So that would be one of my biggest things. Also, chemotherapy did. I went through what's called BEP, which is bleomycin, atopicide, and cisplatin. And one of the drugs, bleomycin, does a lot of damage on those lungs. So when I go out and I'm running too, um, it really affects those lungs pretty quickly. It almost feels like a sharp like rock right in through here. Um, and you know, I have to kind of work through it, but as I've been progressing in my cardio and walking a lot more, it goes, it slowly starts to go down. I eat the right foods and, you know, strength training, all of that. So how's the, uh, journey into public speaking been going for you? Just, just despite the COVID challenge. <laughs> there you go. I, you know, the funny part is I started in 2019, um, August, um, did about, Three, three or four live events, um, you know, nothing too crazy because I was just getting started. The most I had done then was like in front of 150 people. So it was good. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it, it was just getting out there. And then obviously COVID hit and, you know, I felt like I had all this momentum going and I had a speaking gig that already, a couple speaking gigs already lined up throughout that year and uh, everything kind of just took a whirlwind. So that's when I said, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to just go for it. And um, I hired a virtual assistant, which is basically just uh, an employee to help me to delegate some of my, you know, long hour tasks. And we were just reaching out to people left and right that were fitting for what I was going to talk about. And as I got a hold of them, I actually found out that I got a more podcast than I did um, speaking, but that was okay. I was all right with that. Cause I said, you know what, I'm willing to take this sacrifice right now to get more exposure and to get more practice. And I probably have done about this year, um, between 20 and exactly a year from now, um, I've probably done about 25 podcasts and it's been incredible, you know, just reaching out to people. I've probably done about six or seven, um, live events, you know, nothing too crazy either. Maybe I think 50 people on a, on a live, which is actually a lot for a live. Um, I've gotten, which I was surprised at one time, but, um, yeah, so that's how it's been going right now. So when I was doing that though, I said, what do I do to monetize this? And how do I like kind of just go to a little different direction. So what I decided to do is I, I got into that cancer community and I said, okay, how can I start impacting these people? And what is it that I went through an experience that I can give back to others? And mine was as survivorship, helping people find the, oh, first overcome the mental, emotional, physical struggles that they're facing 
and then helping them find that next direction. It's not like an exact path, but it helping them kind of figure out where they want to go with their life. And I started doing some one-on-one coaching and um, in the beginning it was absolutely incredible. The, the impact I had was amazing, but I didn't feel right about it because I was charging as like a coach. I was like, Hey, listen, this is my job and I'm trying to do this. And they were fine. They didn't, it was funny because they didn't care that I was charging them. But for me, I just, it didn't feel right. And I said, you know what? I can be doing this at a bigger and grander scale. And that is when I created my Facebook group, October of 2020. I finally had the courage. It took about three months. I had people tell me left and right, start this damn thing. And eventually it was my dad that actually convinced me to just do it. And uh, I did it. And, you know, for the first month, we had maybe 100 people in it, 150 people. Next month, maybe I think we got up to 400 people, which was awesome. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was great. But then literally January to to now, we have over 2,000 people in the group. And it's incredible. And what's helped me is is because I did the work of going into these cancer community groups and not just saying, look at my Facebook group, come here. You give value. You share first. I shared my story. I gave some type of value to them. And then I said, hey, listen, if you're interested obviously admin, you know, approval, I would love for you to join the group so that we can just keep building a community together. The more, the merrier, the more connections, the more love, everything. And it's skyrocketed, but you have to give value. Don't expect people to just come to you without giving value. And a lot of times giving free value is the absolute best. I will give the kitchen sink away because it's not about the information. It's about the implementation. I'm going to tell you that again. It's not about the information. You can give everybody. There's Google. You want anything in life? You could pay a mentor $10,000 and you can find the exact same information on YouTube. But them giving you the implementation part of you having the mindset in X, Y, and Z to go get it is a totally different ballgame. And I'm not doing one-on-one coaching right now. I'm just giving as ton of value as I can to this group and just constantly helping them through these scenarios. And Hopefully I can connect with maybe a celebrity or a big name brand at some point as this group continues to grow. I don't know where it's going to go yet, but this is kind of the path I've been on. So, And for folks looking for the group, it, the name of the group on Facebook is Taking Back Your Life After Cancer, right? And uh, Matt, what an inspiration. Thank you so much for the generosity of your time to share your story. And uh, first and foremost, uh, want to wish you continued good health. And uh, you, I think you're just at the point now where you're only scratching the surface of of what's going to come down the road in the future for you, my friend. So I want to wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me. The Colon Cancer Coalition has all kinds of wonderful events taking place in the coming months various ways that you can get out and move, whether it's get your rear in gear with a run-walk event or a golf event through the Caboose Cup, uh, Tour de Touche bike rides, lots of ways you can support the amazing work that the Colon Cancer Coalition does to raise awareness and fund local organizations that are making a difference in the world of colorectal cancer. You can check out all of their events by going to wehavecancershow.com forward slash CCC for Colon Cancer Coalition. And you can find an event in your neighborhood. Many are uh, 
taking place in person, but they virtually all of them have virtual components as well, if that's your preference. So once again, support the Colon Cancer Coalition by going to wehavecancershow.com forward slash CCC. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter.